0: We're about to hear a story, a true story, that is part of a scene from The Voices Project. The Voices Project centering on disability.
1: When my sister was getting married, we were in the store looking at stuff for the wedding. There was a group of women standing in a circle talking, staring at my mother and my sister and saying, look, <laughs> look at the midgets. I walked up behind them, tugged on one of the gentlemen's jackets, and said, Do you want to look at a midget? Take a good look. Do you want me to turn around so you can see every part of me? Go ahead. Take a good look. They turned around and walked away. I was standing, shaking in my boots, still in disbelief that I had stood up for being small. When you're small, you're used to hearing things from little kids. But having grown adults making comments because somebody is different than they are, I couldn't stand it.
0: Actor Roy Afami, with a true story told as part of the tapestry of varied voices that make up the Voices Project on Disability, an hour-long theater piece recorded in 2012 here at the WVIA-TV studios that includes angry voices, grateful voices, those who are frustrated and bitter, and others expressing relief and great good humor. In other words, voices of humans coping with life. The Voices Project was imagined and created by Dr. Alicia Nordstrom, Professor of Psychology and Department Chair at Misericordia University in Dallas, Pennsylvania. And it's all about stories, real-life stories, told to her students and shaped into theater pieces by Dr. Nordstrom and her colleagues in the English department and beyond. Each installment of the project centers on a different human concern. And is brought to life for the public to experience in person and or on film in a very powerful way because of the power of the stories themselves and the productions and their design have had a worldwide impact through student exchanges international presentations by dr nordstrom and most recently through a book she has co-authored titled innovative stigma and discrimination reduction programs across the world alicia nordstrom is rooted in science but also in the arts she is a theater veteran and the interaction between these two ways of seeing the world is what makes the voices project so distinctive and now because of her creative vision dr nordstrom is bringing to reality a new approach to the project through a special collaboration with award-winning storytellers from across the country. And she has expanded the boundaries to include the visual arts. Dr. Alicia Nordstrom paid a visit to the WVIA studios with Lelaine Little. Dr. Little is an art historian and director of the Pauli Friedman Art Gallery at Misericordia, where she teaches. Dr. Nordstrom sets the stage for this week's public performances in Dallas, wilkes and Scranton.
2: This is the next chapter in The Voices Project, which originated in 2009. The attention is to try and challenge and explore some of the stereotypes towards groups that are stigmatized, that are misunderstood in society, and bring real-world stories to people that might be unfamiliar with particular groups so that they can learn about the real lives of people in different Uh, racial groups, religious groups, social classes. And so you're right to say in 2016, we explored mental health. Before that, we explored disability. Before that, in 2009, we did explore race, ethnicity, social class, sexual orientation, and health conditions. But this, I feel like, has been brewing for a long time. And this topic is immigration, and it's something I've been wanting to do even back in 2016, but the mental health one was in motion. And so some things that are different about this Voices project, it changes a little bit each time. We were saying how it grows bigger a little bit each time. So there's several different things that are different about this in terms of incorporating different types of art, because part of the point is that art can heal and that college students can influence that that process. So one thing that's different about this time is my partnership with Dr. Lane Little. We partnered together. She was kind to work with me. And we kicked off this year with a visual exhibit of immigration artists. And I'm sure Lane will speak to that today. And the common thread is this idea of storytelling, but through different means. So the art exhibit was visual storytelling. And now the show that that I'm here to talk about today, The 80 Minutes Around the World, is oral storytelling. And so that's one thing that's different is the broadening of how we tell stories, because stories have always been part of the Voices Project, but also storytelling as an art form. So in the past, uh, you probably know that I have had actors that take the stories written by my college students who have interviewed people in these different groups. This year, I had 50 students interviewing people that are immigrants, first or second generation, refugees, DACA recipients, and they wrote or captured stories of the lives of the people that they interviewed. And so in the past, those stories have been excerpted, integrated into a script, and then essentially performed by actors. And this is different. I felt like the topic of immigration really needed, these stories needed to be shared by the people themselves, because I didn't feel that actors would be the best choice to represent the culture, the dialect, the form of storytelling that's culturally a standard for people that come from different cultures. And so that's one thing that's different. And that was informed actually by experiences I had during COVID and the pandemic. So during COVID, I wasn't able to do theater. So I did a lot of online classes with theater groups that I would have never before had access to. I don't live in New York City. I don't live in Chicago. So I ended up taking classes. And through my improv classes, I found Adam Wade, who is a professional storyteller at Magnet Theater. He's one of the pioneers of storytelling. He's a 20-time winner of the Moth Story Slams. And when I saw storytelling appear on the Magnet website, I thought, wow, I can learn something that I could bring back to the Voices Project. And my experience in Adam's classes completely changed my understanding of story construction and meaning and delivery. And through Adam Wade, he connected me with Nestor Gomez. And Nestor Gomez is like an over 50 time Moth Slam winner. And this is Nestor's show. He's the creator of 80 Minutes Around the World. And so I spoke with Nestor and... Together, we realized that this would be a beautiful marriage of his show and my project. And through a grant from the Lackawanna Arts Council and through support from Misericordia's College of Arts and Sciences, I was able to bring in three headliners, including, oh my gosh, Nestor Gomez himself is coming, uh, Adam Wade himself is coming, and John Gibratadios from huge theater in Minneapolis. He was one of my improv instructors. And John is known for improv for social justice. So using improv to explore and challenge different social issues. So they are my three headliners. I'm gonna get to meet them in person. I've only seen them on screen. So I'm so thrilled about that. And the other storytellers are people from my project. And so we have people from the local community. Leigh Little is one of them who's next to me. Also, Matoush Vosik. He is a biology professor at Misericordia. And we have a student who actually was part of the project. He interviewed somebody in the fall, and now he is going to be sharing his story as well, amidst some other local actors and uh, teachers as well so i'm so excited about this merger and this pairing of this show which is why i'm so passionate about getting the word out and finally the other new aspect is that this show is traveling and in the past it's been at misericordia university but this time it is actually going to the fm kirby center and the scranton cultural center because i wanted it to be really accessible to different populations. And it's free due to all the grant funding. No tickets are needed. So, yeah, it's going to do a little tour of Luzerne and Lackawanna County.
0: Lane, let's bring you in and say, did you initially think, well, I'll do a show that complements it?
3: At the time, I didn't, it was during COVID. I didn't know if we could even have a fall show. And we pitched this almost to each other. And we said, this is this is perfect. It hits all the right buttons of what we want to hit as an art gallery in a curricular way, in a social way, and it's relevant. And we wanted to really show how two different disciplines could merge into one project together. What form did the show take then? We started with uh, Matt Manalo out of Houston, who I know from a mutual friend. He does conceptual sculptural work, and it's uh, highly textural. One of the works that we first looked at, it looks like purple disks on uh, some bamboo mat boards. And at first, you know, you think, I, I don't know what I'm looking at, but if you are Filipino, we're both we're both Filipino, you're thinking capiz shells, you're thinking like all of the weird little quirky things that were in my house, but weren't in my friend's house. So those things like sounds and textures that we don't normally think about as being culturally specific, once you see them, once you smell them, once you experience them, you instantly have a common connection with someone. And that kind of storytelling is what Matt is so good at, at, at finding those textures and finding those cultural notes that you don't even know exist until you see them right in front of you. And then we chose Michelle Drummond, who uh, is a friend of a Misericordia professor. She immigrated from Jamaica. And her work, again, was very textural, using yarn as a way to explore femininity and cultural expectations as you cross the border into the United States and how different that was for her and how sometimes joyous and sometimes alienating that was for her. Um, We found another artist through King's College, Brian Whelan, who was also their um, Feast of St. Francis speaker who immigrated from Ireland to UK and then to the United States. So crossing those cultural gaps, even though the language is basically the same, the way he described difference and the way he depicted difference was so strong and so powerful for, for many of our viewers. And then, of course, Chantala Kamandavan, who you will meet if you come to the show, just an extraordinary artist who has a very um, specific way of depicting ordinary things, a neighborhood, a neighborhood pool, but really using colors and emotions that kind of make you sort of sink into his painting. I can't forget Sandra Hernandez. She did an installation of rosaries, white rosaries all across the gallery that represented people who passed away going across the border. And then, of course, uh, Stash Spanin, who uh, practiced in the uh, USSR, former USSR, who I've uh, reached out to since then, because of course we have to very much sympathize with those who are caught up in that conflict overseas. And his work, again, colorful, bright, exuberant. And it really, all of these artists touched us in so many different ways. And we're really honored to be part of this project.
0: And so, Alicia, when you experienced these artists, how did seeing the visual and feeling the textures and interacting with the colors affect your aspect, the oral part of the project?
2: I would say I'm an art novice. I enjoy art just as a regular spectator. I don't have the knowledge and expertise that Lane does and art historians do. But I really, really love abstract art. So I love that experience of trying to make sense of it, wondering if my interpretation is the intention of the artist. I love being haunted by art, wrestling with it, taking it with me. Lane and I both brought our students into into the art gallery to experience the pieces. And Lane had a reception for the opening of the art gallery, and three of the artists came. It was Stosh, Brian, and Sandra. And I don't remember when I've gotten the opportunity to speak with the artist. So I was kind of starstruck so I'm standing in front of Stash's pieces and I'm talking to him about it and the same thing with Brian, the same thing with Sandra Fernandez who had this three-dimensional hanging, really large extensive piece that mimicked the Rio Grande River, but it had rosaries to reflect the people who have crossed the border from Mexico and died in that journey. And I remember standing next to that piece with her and looking at it and and speaking with her. And I would say every time I do these projects, I think I know something about it. And then I realize I don't know really anything about this topic. And one thing that surprised me was Brian Whelan, who Lane mentioned is from Ireland. He has a very painful immigration experience even to this day when describing his experience in talking about his works that were hanging on the wall there was there was a wall of at least four of them he was very traumatized and like lane said he is white he's european and he's fluent in english but yet he had a really really painful experience and Mateusz who's part of this project is from Poland and he also describes a lot of challenge so so I think that one of the stereotypes that's being challenged is that immigration the immigration experience is informed by say race or skin tone but it's more complex than that as well and I think we might assume that people from European countries or Australia have maybe an easier time but they just have a different experience.
0: You hosted this and put together and curated this show, but then you have come to be a storyteller.
3: Yes, I was very surprised to be asked because I didn't think I counted because I was I was born in, in Seattle, but my parents were immigrants from the Philippines. And um, as Alicia explained, that counts, that there are issues of displacement and identity that people may either not be aware of or that, you could help heal people by sharing those experiences. I was really honored to be asked. Lane, then you tell your own story? I will tell my own story. You know, I, I, I want to emphasize, too, that that there's these aren't just sad stories. These are, I think, when we think about the immigrant experience, there's a tendency maybe to feel sorry for someone who has been displaced. But there's so much joy in discovery. There's so much joy in being one person at school and then going home and being among your friends who are also immigrant children and just sort of letting your hair down and all of the silliness that happens with that. And I, I hope that people will come and be able to relate to this idea that maybe you don't belong in one place or maybe you feel like you don't belong in one place, but there are places where you do belong and that makes all of those joys that much sweeter. And I have found
2: every time I do this that there's more of a connection than people realize. And when I did the disability one, I ended the documentary that we filmed here at WVIA by saying, we're all part of this group. And many of us are already. And if you're not, we will be. The same for mental health. And particularly with COVID, you know, we're we're feeling it more than ever. I hope that there are people that have not had mental health experiences, but if not, they probably know people that do. And in terms of immigration, every family has has a story. And that's why First- and second-generation immigrants, in my mind, absolutely count. And one thing that I, that I love just organically happens with this is, like Lane said, there's just a variety of stories, and there always is a variety of stories. So even for the mental health and the disability versions of this, it's not inherently true that people are miserable or have had negative experiences. I had people that I invited to be part of this project that said, Well, you don't really want me because I just came over having done study away and an exchange student. And yeah, I've never really had any negative experiences. So I think people expect I- I'm just looking for some kind of horror stories. And some people have them. Some people absolutely have them. There's a woman who was interviewed that actually went to Misericordia. Her family came from Mexico. Her siblings were born in New Jersey. They took a trip to Mexico and She happened to be born in Mexico during that trip. So now she's here under DACA and all of the rest of her siblings are from New Jersey. And her mother, it's so painful, her mother got deported. Her mom got stopped one day coming home from work and she went to a detention center and then she was deported. And so this woman can't leave to see her mom in Mexico and has only seen her on Zoom since since then. So there, I mean, there are absolutely difficult stories. There are stories that are surprising. There's people on the project that don't really like America. And so we always assume, oh, people come to America because they want this better life for themselves. There's a lot of stories where people's families were really well off and their parents were in really prestigious jobs and then they come to America and they have to give up those jobs, being doctors and lawyers, and start from the bottom up, and some are still really struggling. But then there are other stories of being really joyous, like being excited to be in America and having the merging of cultures. And so I don't really set out with an agenda in terms of the types of stories, but it just naturally falls in this way that there just is such a variety. And I think in this 80 minutes around the world, it's really gonna be a journey. And the 80 minutes reflects eight storytellers that are telling 10-minute stories each. That's the way Nestor Gomez designed the show. And once again, there, there's no agenda. There's no set countries. He's had over 60 storytellers be part of this show. The show travels around in all different places. And so I'm so excited that the people in the show are now part of that that legacy of, of storytellers for the show. So it is really going to be this beautiful journey of, of everything, of laughter and sorrow and surprise. And and I really think it's going to be all the emotions and so many different cultures, so many different ways that people are going to tell the stories with their own personalities and their own pace and their own timing and their own delivery that's going to be unique. And I don't even know, unlike before, I was the director. So uh, I helped write the script. And, you know, I knew how this is going to sound. I have no idea. And it's going to be different every night. It's it's the same cast for most of the shows. But there are some people coming in and out like Shantala, the artist that Lane mentioned. He's going to be part of the show for two nights. He's actually going to do a pop up art exhibit. That was a project that Lane and I worked on because we didn't want to stop our partnership. So we came up with a sequel and we were able to get funds from the Barbara Soika Foundation to have Chantala come do a pop-up art exhibit. Nestor is actually, he is an Uber driver and wrote a book about what it's like to be an immigrant Uber driver. It's called Your Driver Has Arrived. He's going to be there with his book. So I love the idea that art and the show are also, are there together.
3: And I also want to comment too on the generosity of all of the artists that showed with us that When they heard what we were doing and when they heard that this was an educational project aimed primarily at young people, they didn't hesitate to say yes. And that's something that's so extraordinary to find such generosity, again, in the middle of COVID, in the middle of when is this going to end? And they all said yes immediately.
0: Now tell us how we can experience this then.
3: Yes. So there are four performances. And
2: anyone who goes to the Misericordia website, so misericordia.edu slash Voices Project, can see our flyer, can see information about it. And there's also a Facebook page that's the Voices Project. So anyone could follow the project. I've been posting biographies of all of the performers. There's information on there too. So that's facebook.com slash MU Voices Project. But there's going to be four performances. And once again, they're all free. No tickets needed. You just show up, come, listen, and enjoy the show. So April 28th at 7.30 p.m. And April 29th at 12.30 p.m., we will have shows in Le Mans Theater at Misericordia University. On April 29th at 7.30 p.m., we have the FM Kirby Center. And on April 30th at 7 30 p.m., we have the Scranton Cultural Center. And I want to just thank Drew Taylor and John Cardoni from the Kirby Center and the Scranton Cultural Center. Because they have really embraced this show as a community nonprofit project. They've really worked with me to support these shows. And these are venues that have Broadway shows and big comedians. And so to embrace like a local show, I have really, really appreciated their, their generosity, and I'm so glad to have this show be in these really
0: accessible venues. This is a big presentation, Alicia, but it's still part of the Voices Project. So tell us again what you see as common to them all. Having done this
2: many, many times, when I talk with my students about these projects, I get really emotional with them because I want them to know how important it is every time they interview someone, every time they listen, every time they validate through their listening of someone else's story. It's really the way the world is going to change. And I did most of the preparation for this during COVID. I had a sabbatical to, to set up this whole project. And during this time when it there was so much negativity in the world during the time of the black lives matter movement i just sat in my office and i thought well what can i do to do something and this project was right in front of me at the moment and i just thought well if this is something that i can do to bring another moment of compassion I believe that compassion is the way that the world needs to heal.
0: Alicia Nordstrom, professor and chair of the psychology department at Ms. Rick University in Dallas, Pennsylvania, just outside Wilkes-Barre, and creator and director of The Voices Project. And Dr. Elaine Little, art historian, and director of the Pauli Friedman Art Gallery at Misericordia University. They have been speaking with us about 80 Minutes Around the World, part of The Voices Project. It's an event that will take audience members on an 80-minute trip around five continents as eight storytellers each share their immigration experiences, including Dr. Lelane Little, The show combines award-winning performers, including Nestor Gomez, the show creator, and Adam Wade of Magnet Theatre in New York City. The show will tour through Luzerne and Lackawanna counties with four performances this week at Misericordia University in Le Mans Theatre on April 28th and April 29th, April 28th, Thursday evening at 7.30, and then again on April 29th, which is Friday at 12:30 on April 29th, Friday evening at 7:30 at the FM Kirby Center on Public Square in downtown Wilkes-Barre, and then on April 30th at the Scranton Cultural Center at 7:30 p.m. So that's Saturday evening at 7:30 at the Scranton Cultural Center. The shows are free and open to the public. The Voices Project Immigration. A year-long visual and storytelling arts project conducted at misericordia university the culmination is 80 minutes around the world and that will be four performances this week misericordia university in le mans theater on april 28th at 7 30 p.m and april 29th at 12 30 and then the fm kirby center that evening april 29th friday evening at 7 30. And then on April 30th, Saturday evening at 7.30 at the Scranton Cultural Center. Again, the shows are free and open to the public. And for more information on the web, misericordia.edu slash voicesproject. M-I-S-E-R-I-C-O-R-D-I-A, misericordia.edu slash voicesproject.